I think at the end of the day, when all the social media stuff really dies down, I do think the meaningful relationships are going to be the things that stick. I really, really do. I think the superficiality has to, and pimping product and all this stuff has to sort of mellow out. We're in a real upwards trajectory on that, but I think people are going to want the real stuff. Um, and I don't know, as a brand, I know for me, I try to respond to every DM, every message. I think it's really important for me as the business owner. And even if someone's being nasty, sometimes Noelle won't know how to respond to somebody and I'll say, I'll take them. And, you know, it's just people want to be heard and they want to, they want to be able to vent and they want to be um, looked at as a human being. And it's having those human contact points. I think it's super important. And I think for longevity of the brand, I hope that that's what keeps us going. And I can't say I want it to be twice as big. It doesn't matter to me. It could stay right where it is as we have the quality of people. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm your host. And this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. BJ and I are so excited to be coming to you tonight live from Canyon Bikes North American headquarters here in Carlsbad, California. We have an amazing live audience. Can we get a little yeah. amazingness? Sweet. <laughs> Love it. And we all just finished indulging in some delicious snacks from our dear friends at Jules Food in the back row, keeping it cool with their vegan brie cheese. Amazing. Kristen, what do you think? It was really good. It was really good. Really good. She's not a convert yet. <laughs> and Choice Juicery sending over amazing food for us, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Canyon, for welcoming us back. And thank you to the beautiful Kristen Mayer for being with us tonight. Kristen is founder of Betty Designs, a company that she started during one of the most difficult times in her life. And if you guys know us, then you know we're going to be diving into that story. And since starting the company in 2010, Kristen has grown Betty Designs into one of the most recognizable brands in the world of endurance sports. She is making badass girls feel beautiful in her intelligent, playful, and bold designs. And Betty is not just an apparel company, it's a community, it's a tribe, it's a family, and I can only assume that it is a piece of her life where she finds purpose. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. This is a long time coming. It's a long time coming. Long time. And I love that yeah. you shared the backstory a little yeah, bit on you your like Instagram. That? I had to. It was right out to. there, yeah. We asked Kristen to be on the show a couple years ago and she said no. <laughs> and we've been turned down a few times. Oh, I thought you were going to say No, months. I don't think we've ever. No, I think we've oh. turned down one other time. Oh, boy. Yeah, one other time. <laughs> This is, this is going to be like episode 160, just so you know. But you Who have knows? to tell them why when I confess to you. You tell us why. Okay, so in my defense, <laughs> I wasn't just being rude. No, it's, she wasn't. It, it, we're I was it, actually we're mortified silly. because these two live such a purposeful life. I felt sort of like, okay, I'm not vegan. I don't meditate. I really need to better myself before I can sit in the company of these two. <laughs> so I politely declined because I said I didn't think I was a fit. Yeah, she was a perfect fit because, you know, we want to share stories of people who have risen from the ashes. And as far as I knew at the time, you had risen from the ashes. I don't know if they were ashes. No. No, I don't know. I don't but know you were what engulfed they were. in flames. I don't know what they were. You were the phoenix. You were engulfed in flames. Rising up. So, um, so anyway, here we are two years later. She has spent two years bettering herself to be on the show. And we're really, really proud of all the work that she's done. <laughs> oh, boy, the pressure. 
Um, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, you know, we're here at Canyon, and Canyon is the title sponsor for the Belgian Waffle Ride, which is an epic race here in San Diego. And you just completed your fourth consecutive year doing the Belgian Waffle Ride, right? I did. Well, it was my fourth waffle. I did a wafer in 2015, actually. So it was technically my fifth finish line. And it's the most epic, fun cycling event, I think, in the entire planet. I mean, it's just... It scares the you-know-what out of me. It's totally out of my comfort zone. It ticks all the boxes in terms of going out there and seeing, can I hit the finish line? Can I cross that line? Because it's 130 to 140 miles, depending on the year. Um, you've got about 100 miles of asphalt, and then you've got these 16 to 18 pieces of dirt segments, and they're all different types of terrain, and you do it on your road bike. And it's really rad. And then you end... And you oh, end double peak. You end up double peak, but for me, it's more terrifying to go down the backside actually than to go up. So yeah. So what? Like you were uh, you were triathlete. You've you raced a lot. You've raced too much. Yeah, many many <laughs> times. Um, but triathlon. Yep. Um, and then did you move into cycling? And when did the when did the BWR come into your life? Like when did you even know? Because that's such a unique event and. Uh, we had Michael on the on the show, Michael Marks, who's the director and yeah. the creator of that. And so if you know Michael like we yeah. do, then you know it's going to be totally epic. Yeah, totally epic. So it's epic. not like, had you been road racing? Oh, gosh, no. When actually, so at all the years I raced triathlon, I couldn't even ride a bicycle. Especially if you ask my husband right now, because when he met me, he met me just <laughs> as I was phasing out of being a tri-geek. So... Um, you know, I, it was actually what happened was I stopped triathlon. I was tired. I was exhausted. And I decided I needed, I love to stay fit. I couldn't, I can't sit still. My parents are here. They'll tell you. I could not sit still as a child. True. So her mom's shaking her head. Yeah. No, so I needed another thing. I liked, I like endurance events. And I found that when I started doing them in my mid twenties, like that was sort of my thing. I love the mental challenge just as much as the physical. And so I needed a new thing to do, but I didn't want to race. I was tired of trying to see how hard I could go. It was more like, could I just do it? And this thing scared the crap out of me. It was really out of my comfort and skill zone. And I just thought, I got to do this, it's epic. And honestly, at the time there were, I think maybe 20 to 25 women who even towed the starting line. And that was intriguing to me because I always want to do things that no one else wants to do. I have this little kind of sassy side of me. Like, don't tell me no, because then you're in trouble. That kind of a thing. It was one of those. It was like, I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to try. So you weren't, were you mountain biking at the time? No. Heck no. But you just, so how did you train for it? Were you getting on the dirt, or were you just like, I'm going to deal with it on race day? No, because... we got on the dirt, and there's actually a young man in the audience as well who's been with me through a lot of the early days on the dirt being very patient. Um, we got on the dirt and it was, I call myself Granny Mayor. I mean, it is hands on the brakes and the wrong brake and the rear wheels skidding out and tears are in my eyes and my foot comes out of the, out of the pedal and I'm one-legging it on a tiny incline. It's a 1% grade. So that's how it started. And I, and, but the interesting thing about me is um, when I do put a race bib number on, even though I'm not trying to like place in a race, there's something that happens to me and I kind of, I get that fire and I get that commit. It's like the commitment goes into overload and I just have to get to the finish line. We, yeah. We had Scotty and Carrie on here, here at Canyon and Scotty is a trainer and Carrie's a racer. 
I'm a race. I was so always I feel a like racer. You're a racer. Even though I'm not racing anymore, technically, that was my thing. I'd much rather put the bib number on mm. and go hit it. Yeah. Something happens to me. I get so excited mm -hmm. and scared, but I love that. So excitement and fear come from the same part of the for me the brain yeah yeah absolutely yeah the body yeah. can't tell the difference it's just how you relate so to they it. really can't tell the difference well that makes sense <laughs> yeah. yeah no it, it have a, the same physiological reaction in the body as fear and excitement so yeah. if you practice fear if you live a fearful life if you're a warrior and you're feeling that you can change the lingo and decide that you're going to just going to be excited because your body's not going to change in the way that it feels yep. but the words that you use around it will will change and then your perspective about it will shift you know significantly so what does training look like now you're now you're with the the big guns you are a big gun there in all white you always wear white which I, I always love. wear white because yeah. it's funny yeah because you should because it's, like, it's like the dirtiest race who wears white for a dirt event I mean honestly <laughs> to be out there all day and it's 90 degrees sometimes out in Ramona and you're disgusting when you finish <laughs> wear white why not what does training look like for that like what did your training for this year look like because you keep like ticking off the time like you're taking chunks out of your time year after year so well like I said I started in a pretty grim space in terms of my abilities and um it's like anything, I hired my old tri-coach every year because for me, I like the structure of knowing what I should do. Um, I also can't handle as much training as a lot of my peers. So for me, being told what to do and when to rest works well for me. I don't have to think about it, but I love to go out and do it. And I trust him. He worked with me for almost 18 years on the tri side. He knows me really well. And so when I started doing this, I, was, I didn't know anything about endurance riding. I'd never ridden a bike. I mean, I think back in triathlon days, I maybe rode 70 miles a week on a big mm -hmm. week. So how, did, how would I do this? And he just broke it down. Um, and that's, that's what we did. And every year we've done a little more volume. Like how much more volume can I do? Because for me, I'm never gonna be fast out there. That's never my intent or my goal is to see like who I can beat. It's more about me. Can I be better every year on the day? Can I be a little less fearful? Can I... <sighs> You know, when I reach that dark place at mile 90 that I always hit at coming out of Bandy Canyon, can I overcome that? Um, and that's a really big piece of it for me, and that's, to me, achieving something. So every year I go back because I just want to do better. And when I, I kind of stopped triathlon for a couple reasons, but one of it was I felt like I had sort of done everything I could in some ways. So this is like a new challenge. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no race like this. Yeah. So I love how, you know, I was saying like you're taking chunks off your time, but you kind of shifted to the more important metrics, which is like, can I be a little less fearful? Yeah. Can I be a little less dramatic coming out of mm -hmm. Bandy Canyon? And so mm -hmm. are you finding that you're being, that you're fine tuning the mental game there or? I definitely, this year was probably the biggest shift mentally in terms of less fear. I mean, Black Canyon was horrible. It was really deep, um, loose sand, and it was definitely, I was horrifically slow in that segment, and it was scary, but not scary at the level it was the first year I did the race. Different kind of scary. Um, and then that Bandy Canyon section has always been my nemesis, and I said to my husband, this year when we come off the dirt there and we go up the 2K climb on the road, I'm not melting down and having, I'm not having a mental breakdown. I'm not going to say, because I always get there and I feel dead and I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to finish? And I said, this year I'm not doing that. I'm going to overcome that place. I didn't even know, I was so excited this year. 
It was so interesting. So I don't know why that is. Well, well, it might have just been the mindset. You vocalized it. Your yeah, mindset. You, you yeah. vocalized. You set yeah. the intention. You said there's no way. And it just seems. Yeah. And there in- were hard parts during the day, but that was my one place I hit every year. And this year, nope. But I think you nailed it. I mean, you set the intention. So I think. I think there's like this uh, misconception with the mental game that it's going to be like in the moment, in the moment, I'm going to be better coming out of Bandy Canyon. Yeah. But you had already done the work mm-hmm. to set yourself up for success because you decided that you weren't going to be that way this year. Yeah. So then what happens is like that starts to get programmed because you're, you're practicing it. You're mm-hmm. talking to Matt about it. Mm-hmm. And you're reprogram. It's so easy. Like we yeah. reprogram our subconscious. Now you've overridden those old patterns, and you came springing out of Bandon Canyon, yeah. feeling good and excited. And so now you've got momentum there, and you can continue doing that every year. Now you need to find well, something else. I need to find something else, or <laughs> yeah. I have to have my husband allow me to do this again next year, which is another topic for another day. <laughs> he says he's done. <laughs> do you guys train together? We do. We do a lot of training together. Yeah. Yeah. He's very patient. He waits a lot. <laughs> yeah. So does mine. <laughs> so what advice would you have for somebody who's, who's looking to do BWR or something that's really off the charts like this, like a bike race that's like dirt and road and that you have to really be like an everything cyclist to do? So I think the number one thing is, do you really want to do it? Because I believe if you really, really want to do it, then you can do it. Um, and I think that from even now to this day, I mean, if you go mountain bike with me, I'm really not great. So um, people will say, you know, I can't believe you do that. And something just happens. And I think it's also just breaking it down into little pieces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in the training, there was uh, we were doing this one segment called Lemon Twist. That's a really technical single track. And I did it a bunch of times this year. And like I think it was 10 days out from the event. We went out and we put our race tires on and I absolutely had a meltdown that day out there. I took my foot out twice. I hadn't done it all year. And I was like, what is going on with me? But it's, it's those little things of just kind of keeping at it. And so I think you have to want it. And I think that in knowing that I can do it, I think, I think it's like an Ironman. I think honestly, if you want to do it, you can do it. Yeah, I really do. I think you definitely have to want, we were actually just watching the Jobs, the Steve Job, Jobs movie last night, and I love this line for it when he's, um, they're, they're, they're assembling the Mac team, and he says to them, like, you have to have passion for what you're doing, like, you have to want it, because if you don't, then you're not going to have what it takes to persevere, like, yep. you're not going to persevere to the end, yep. so you've got to want it, yep. and then you'll do what it takes. You'll do what it takes. Yeah. You know? So let's talk about doing what it takes. Um, because the BWR is not the biggest challenge you've had in your life. And so to the gratitude of many, many badass women out there, Betty Designs was really born from one of the toughest times in your life. And so can you just take us through that story right from the nitty gritty beginning? You want the nitty gritty, huh? Oh, we want it all, girlfriend. Well, all I'm going to say is, so there's a very finite moment where that switch was flipped. And it was literally, and I might cry. Matt, you said she was going to cry. He said, guarantee. He loves cry. it. <laughs> so, cry. you know, basically, I was married for almost 14 years. I had a six-year-old. And you think, okay, marriage is tough. You know, you're grumpy with each other and this and that. But I always thought, and especially watching my parents, you know, you have arguments and things. You stay together. And so I thought... I was going to be with this person who is the father of my son my entire life. And 
then one, you know, things had been sort of been, you know, weren't awesome, but I, I didn't think much about it. And finally one day I just said to him, I said, you know, I said, what's going on? You seem extra grumpy and you just seem like you're just not, you don't want to be here. And I remember it was one in the afternoon on a Monday. I think it must have been some sort of holiday. He was home from work. I worked from home and I was in my bathrobe at one in the afternoon, which is common. But I, because um, I work at home, <laughs> I said, you just don't seem interested. And he just deadpanned me in the eye and he said, I'm not. I don't love you and this isn't the life I want anymore. And it was like, excuse me? Um, it was rough because I was in shock. And I said, I said, what do you, are you serious? Yep. And it was plain as day. It was just like, hey, I'd like a burger, you know? And um, it was what it was, but it, that was it, it floored me. I was done, yeah. So when we, we had um, met last week, we had shared some time having some coffee and getting to know each other a little bit better. And, and so you had told this story to us and then you told us like for the next, was it three weeks or three months, like that you were still sharing the same space. But you realize, like this, this I, I gotta, like I gotta move on, right? Like you've gotta yeah. start living. Yeah, I mean, was, that must have been hell. It was really hard. It was really hard. He was relieved, and I wasn't angry at him. I just didn't understand. It was really not understanding, and I was very hurt, as you can imagine. And he was there for a while longer, and I finally just said, you know, you gotta, you gotta move out because I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do. I was literally in a ball, so. It was one little thing at a time. He moved out and it was day by day, hour, sometimes it was hour by hour, sometimes it was minute by minute. Because all I could think of, the thing that came in my head, what was I going to do? I mean, yes, I was raised to be an independent female, but I never thought I'd be faced with that. And I wasn't helpless, but I felt helpless. Mm. So what, how do I even get out of bed the next day? How do I? How do I get up without having this person there that's been there for that long? I didn't know what that looked like. Mm -hmm. But how do I, in all this hurt, stay strong for my son? Because mm -hmm. that was really the most important thing because I have to do this for him. Not only for me, but for him. Because we're gonna go on. Mm -hmm. That was the big one. So you were a graphic designer at the time. Yep. And you had been doing some custom stuff. Mm -hmm. But now you had a mortgage to pay. Yep. I mean, everything was now 100% you. Yep. And nobody else was going to do it but you. Um, so when does Betty start to come into fruition? Like, when does she start to rise up? So it really happened about six months later. Um, a friend of mine that rode bikes, ironically, <laughs> um, introduced me to a guy that rode bikes. <laughs> and he's in the room tonight. Um, and we met on a group date, um, date if you will. It wasn't really a date, as both of us will attest to. It was pretty comical. But we met, and, and he's, um, it's Matt. He's here in the room, and he's the most intelligent man I've ever met in my entire life. And he sat there. He thought I was absolutely batshit crazy because I was crying. I had a kid. I had an ex-husband. I had an ex-little boyfriend in between. He was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and you're supposed, this is supposed to be like a date? It was kind of a date, group date. We went out, we went out <laughs> again great. for a sandwich, and it was like, I don't know, we were talking. He was a very smart businessman, and, and we weren't dating at the time. He became a very good friend, and he, 
He said, well, you know, what are you going to do? Because I was lamenting about what am I going to do for work? Because I turned down a couple of corporate jobs. I didn't want to leave the house with my son at home. It was very important for me that I drove him to school. I picked mm -hmm. him up. I was there if he needed me in the middle of the day. Whatever it was, it was baseball practice. I was not missing it. I refused. So he said, well, you seem pretty talented. Why don't you start your own company? Why don't you start your own clothing line? And I just start crying, as usual, because that's what I did in those days. I'm crying. And the words that came out of my mouth were, I can't compete with Nike. I have no money, and I can't compete with Nike. You went right to the biggest I went right to the, brand. yeah. And he just looks at me, and he's laughing. What are you talking about, crazy person? I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, it, it seemed like the most silly suggestion to me. Because like you said, I didn't look at it from like, oh, what could I do to possibly do this? It was, how do I get to success, right? And the biggest success I can think of was Nike. They're the biggest sports brand in the world, and I've always admired them. So how do I get to that? That's ridiculous. But the fact that that's planted in your brain, that right. you know that that is the top, shows that it's already inside you. So maybe Nike isn't <laughs> the best competitor for what you're doing. But it shows that you have the... The big goals. Yeah, so you have that inside of you to create something of your own that can be at the top of its level, whatever that environment is. Well, so you already saw that Nike. Yeah, it just didn't, it didn't register it just, with anything right. to me. It had nothing to do with me. It was like so foreign. It was like, what are you talking about? I'm this little designer that sits in my bathrobe in my house. <laughs> they don't do that at Nike. They don't do that at Nike. So then what was the next step? Like when did it, how did it go from that to actually starting to happen? So the, what really happened was he obviously planted the seed that mm -hmm. day. And he said, well, you don't, you don't do that. He goes, so... Um, do you know how to get a jersey made? I said, well, of course I know how to get a jersey made. I said, I do custom work all the time, and I've made my own stuff for my own racing. And he said, okay. And I, I said, but I don't have any money. I said, I'm not getting investors. It was immediately like I was in this place where I didn't want any debt. I owed my dad some money. He was helping float me my, um, on my mortgage. I had taken in a couple tenants because I was in a pretty big house that I shouldn't have been in. And um, so I'm not taking on any more debt. And he said, well, what do you have? What can you afford? I said, I don't probably afford 20 jerseys. He goes, well, do you know anyone who can do that for you? And I said, I think so. I'm going to go knock on the door at Squadra up in Vista. And I'm going to see. I've worked with them before, and maybe, you know, they'll do this for me. But I really want my own zipper pulls and tags. I was very specific about that. So I went up there, and I just I'd worked with them, and I just said, hey, you know what, you guys? I want to make 30 jerseys. So that's how it started. And they said, yes, they would do it for me if I paid for the zipper pulls and the tags that were going to cost me some extra. So Matt says to me, I, he says, well, I'll lend you some money. Oh, no. Okay, first of all, we're not dating. I'm not <laughs> owing you anything, smart man. This guy wants to give me some Super money. geek. Like, I don't even know who you are. You don't like kids. Like, no, 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 no. We're not, I'm not taking any money from you. So he says, he's a, he's a veterinarian radiologist. So he says, well, listen. I write books sometimes, so I have a book project I want to work on. I want to work on a dog breed book. This is a true story. So I say, he goes, I know you come from like magazine layouts. He goes, I go, I love laying out multi-page things. Like that's the best thing ever. I go, he goes, well, can I hire you to lay out this book? And I go, of course. And he goes, well, it's this pretty big book. It's going to be like 100 pages. How much would you charge me? So I came up with my estimate. I said five grand. And he goes. 
So now I know this. I guess he gulped because he was like, that was more than I was bargaining for. And he goes, he's like, that's more than I was going to let her borrow. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It was more like, this is a, this is a flipping expensive book, right? <laughs> like, I thought she was going to charge me like a thousand. So he says, now I really got it. He's thinking to himself, I know the story now. So he pays me up front. And I said, I felt really uncomfortable about it. And again, we still aren't dating. We're just friends feel really uncomfortable, but I said, all right, I take the money, and he sends me like a payment schedule, because if any of you know Matt, he's very like, you know, right brain oriented. <laughs> so he makes me a spreadsheet of payments, methodically, that he thinks I can manage. Yes, you should be laughing, Noel. over time. And I panic when I see the payment plan, because I'm like, he, he thought it'd take me like six months to do this book. Well, I knocked the friggin' book out in two weeks. I'm like, here you go, and he's like, what? I'm like, you gave me $5,000. I've been freaking out about it. I owe you the work. So the book got done. Fastest book in history? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I paid Matt back with book layout. <laughs> That's awesome. So we have a little self-published dog breed book. <laughs> Is it available on Amazon? It was. I need. We need to get it back up there. Yeah. It's actually a pretty funny book. Um, but anyway, that's really, that was the seed money. So that allowed me to buy some additional jerseys and shorts and a couple things. So that's really how it started. And I put up a WordPress website and I had line art. We didn't even have photography. And it was really methodically one thing at a time. One challenge right in front of me at the time because that was all I could handle. That was where my life was in that moment. Um, but it actually makes for a great uh, building a business. I know that now. I didn't it didn't make sense in the moment, but I know that now. That's the best way to start a business, I think. Because you were methodical and you were just yeah. focused on what it was in front of you. Yeah. So you were making sure that like, you weren't, yeah, because you were like, I might not get to the next step. Right, correct. Yeah. And I had to be smart about where I was in that moment, in my life, in my personal life, and in, in starting this business. Do you feel like there was a part of you, like I know you know, you didn't want to borrow money, you didn't want to get investors. Did you feel like there was a part of you that was like fearful to rely on somebody again? Absolutely. I, mm -hmm. um, because that's all I did was I, I always, I made an assumption that who you marry was there forever. And I knew people got divorced, but I just, I didn't want to have to rely on anyone. And it's funny because I've gone through periods, I remember being very stubborn as a child. So it's definitely in there with me where I've gone through that. And I felt like I'd really let my guard down and become vulnerable. And, and that I was not going to do that again. It was me. I needed to do this for me and my son Gavin, and that was it. So how'd you sell the jerseys? What was the plan? The plan, the plan was literally, I'm going to make 30 jerseys, and if I sell them, I'll make more. But um, it was around Ironman in Hawaii time in October, and um, I used to go there um, almost every year. I raced in 98, but I went back every year after that in some capacity. I would sell my soul to people like Zoot, and I'd say, hey, you guys, if you give me a floor space and fly me there, I'll stand in your booth for a week, because I loved it there. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. So I couldn't miss it, but I couldn't afford to go. So I actually don't remember how I got there, but I had a backpack of jerseys on me. And I got to Kona, and I, you know, I knew a lot of people just from being there year, year after year, and the triathlon community, as we all know, is very small. And I put a jersey on and I walk through town, which in Kona you can walk around in a Speedo, so it doesn't really matter what you're wearing. You look like a tri-geek no matter what. So I had my cycling jersey on with my big logo and it was like, I'm going to walk around in it and I'm going to see if anyone talks to me about it. Because I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. 
And I, I remember it was the first couple hours I was in town. I walked by this little strip of shops and this woman came running out of her shop. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And she grabbed me and she's like, what are you wearing? What is that? I said, oh, I was really meek. I was like a little bit nervous. I was like, well, I designed this jersey, you know, in this little voice. And she's like, do you have any more in that pack? And I said, sure. Can I, well, come into my shop. So I, she brings me in the little bike shop and she looks at it and she's like, I want 15 of them right now. What will you sell them to me for? And I hadn't even thought about it. I was like. Well, that wasn't the next step. No. You there. You're not there yet. I wasn't there <laughs> you yet. You got these jerseys, these 30 so you need to unload. I was like, okay. You're like, where's Matt in his spreadsheet? I was like, there's no spreadsheet. So, I mean, I literally, you know, I knew what I paid for them. I don't even know what I sold them to her for, but I remember she took 15 jerseys off my hands and you know, five days later after being in town and people seeing this logo and this jersey and just talking to me about it, saying, oh, that's really cute. Where'd you get it? Or what is that? I had, I had emptied my backpack. And at this time, was it just the logo? Just the So skull? I actually, I wish I should have brought it, but the original one was the big logo. It was like in the shield motif with these like swirly things. It was really feminine, but it was like, it's kind of embarrassing now because it was like front and centered and I would never do that now, but we had was, to get the message out. Yeah. I had to get the message out and it was really about the logo. Was anyone going to look at the skull butterfly logo and ask me what it was? Because to me, I really liked it, but I don't know if anyone was going to notice it. I had no idea. So when, so this was a part of your, your step-by-step -step process was designing this logo. Yeah. And as you're designing it, are you having, are you having thoughts of like, what the hell am I going to, what, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is never going to work. Or was there doubt in there or was it just survival mode? Like I have to just keep going and I can't entertain any of those thoughts. It was actually neither. It was art. Mm. Believe it or not, in that moment with the jersey and the logo, I was, because in the past I had designed some kits for myself to race in and I thought I'm just going to design myself a jersey that I would wear. And that was all it was. It wasn't thinking about those two other things in that moment. Mm. And I just wanted to see if anyone else liked it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Business 101, let's mm -hmm. see if anyone else likes it. Yeah, but there was no... So, of course, I always think of everything from, like, you know, an energetic standpoint and the universe and the metaphysical laws and all that stuff. And the thing was is that the core of this new business was there was no desperation in that design. There was no, this has to pay the mortgage. There was none of no. that. No. And when we do that, when we focus so hard on something, and if we do it from this lackful energy, like the we have to have it because we don't have it, mm -hmm. we actually push it further away from us. And I think that that was one of these amazing things that was happening for you, where there was just kind of, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my, my craft, mm -hmm. and I'm going to see if anybody else likes it. And there was no desperation around it. And then that woman you know, coincidentally, yeah. which there's no coincidence, there's no coincidence, there's no, no coincidence. runs out of this. I mean, this story is just so, so powerful. It's so amazing. I oh, mean, that, you. that first woman, like she, look at what she helped you launch. Yeah. I mean, it was, for me, it was, um, it was more, I started the business as a side business. It was really, if I sell, and this was what Matt had broken down for me. He said, you know, think about this. If you sell one jersey a day and you make $50 a day, that's an hour of what you're charging in freelance design time. And I was like, oh, yeah. So my thought process, mm -hmm. and, and even when I was designing, I never, I wasn't thinking about that. It was a craft, but it was if this works great, if it doesn't, I haven't lost anything because I didn't invest a lot. It wasn't like, a de like you said, it wasn't desperation, mm -hmm. but it was like, oh, this could be a bonus. This could be a side gig. 
is really what it was in my extra mad money, if you will, yeah. to kind of, so I don't have to like shamefully kind of owe my dad more money was basically what it was. So the backpack's yeah. empty and you're coming home from Kona and are you, th are you thinking like, okay, I'm going to continue to do this? I definitely did. I, I, I remember thinking I might, the, the thought that went through my head was I might be onto something, but it wasn't like I am onto something, it was I might be. So I'm going to order 30 more jerseys and I'm going to make a matching short to go with it. And I'm going to put up this little WordPress website and see what happens. And it's so funny because back then you could just sell a jersey. Now everybody wants the whole The whole thing. kit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the arm warmers. Well, and definitely. Like, and I definitely <laughs> sell. I, I mean, I think when I started, it was more jersey driven. But yeah. I think now. Because we all had like the black pearl shorts. Everyone had the pearl. Yes, exactly. And I think now it's. Um, <laughs> so I didn't know how many kits I would sell. I made the matching short because I thought it was cool. But again, was anyone else going to think it was cool? And this is just bike. Jersey to start with. Jersey and bike short, not okay. even a bib short. Yep. So then when does it really start to take off? It was so just, this is 2010, Kona 2010. Yep. It was that fall. And, um, you know, honestly, in my head, it fast forwards a little bit because I don't remember the in-between. But it was, it was methodically, okay, I sold this many, so I'm going to buy more. And I kept with that design for a while. I feel like then in 2011, I started working on my first try design. Um, a tri top and a tri short and it was a similar design but it was a different color and um, so it was just slowly from there and I don't it's crazy I don't remember all the details but it was it was very slow and now you can ask Noelle she's sitting here it's like every week I'm trying to design something new it's like a frenzy of we got to come up with something else I think <laughs> with the branding like first of all your creativity was let to ride like yeah. you should never interrupt the creative process like let that <laughs> let, let the creative be the creatives and then just slowly change things very slowly like yeah. color like yeah. color. that's where you start that's where you start to get that yeah. consistency so people start yeah. seeing it over and over in that it repetition was. and expands then once you have that established community yeah. then you just like go yeah. wild which is probably what you want it was feeling compelled to do at the start being a creative person like you've got all these ideas but just stay in course, stay the course. Yes and no, I honestly was so, I mean, I was so timid and broken in that moment. I didn't think I had anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I could take it anywhere. I will be honest with you. It was literally, it wasn't even in the mindset at all that this could turn into anything and it wasn't methodical. I wish I could say it was, it was just me being very cautious and shy and afraid. So when did you start believing in it? Like believing in it that it was going to be something, that it was calling you for more. I think it was 2012 because I realized that I couldn't just, um, I was shipping all the packages, I was writing all the little, I had to have note cards. I was very specific. I had to have the branding straight off and all these little details. But I was handwriting the address labels and I was going to the post office every day and it became too much. So I had to have somebody help me. And then I started looking at the numbers, um, and at that point, Matt was in my life quite a bit, on and off, which we don't have to touch on, but it was on and off. It's another um, podcast. That's a whole other podcast. It's a couple's podcast. Couple's podcast. But, um, Bring them back. But basically, <laughs> um, I, kinda, I think it was 2012, at the end of 2012, two years in, I went, I think this is becoming a real business, and I think I can back off on the freelance graphic design work I'm doing, where I'm just working on 30 random things at any moment. Mm. Was that tough to do, to give that up? 
No, it no. it was a natural. I mean, literally, I, it sounds weird. It really was just like when I. It was sort of like when I decided to stop raising a child, and when I knew it was time, it was time. Hmm. And I've always been one. You can, you know, again, my parents are here, but when I made decisions, I always seemed. I think, and they can speak to this later, but. I believe I made a decision with my gut, and I always felt like if it wasn't right, I could change it if I wasn't affecting somebody else, like in a negative manner. So it was sort of like, okay, well, I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work, we'll go back to what I know or what I've been doing. It was like I would move. My mom would say, oh, you're going to break up with your boyfriend, you're going to move, and you're going to quit your job all at once. And I go, yeah, mom, that's how I roll. But I wasn't ever fearful of change. I was, I was brought to my knees by it in that moment, but, but in terms of me making the decision to do things, I kind of just do it, and I give it a go. Yeah, I get that. You're saying, you're describing yourself as kind of feeling like, t you know, timid and broken and all of that, but now out of Betty Designs comes Badass is Beautiful and Do Epic Shit. Now you're starting to be pretty edgy. Yeah. And so as a consumer, we're feeling like, oh, this, this girl's got it going on. Like, she's so confident and everything. But when you're putting this stuff out there, did you have pushback from that? Were there times where you're like, I can't put this out. It's a swear word. or I mean, I, it's not in our house. Well, you know, I, I do remember. <laughs> so my whole shtick has always been, I think, it's the contrast between being feminine and being kind of a badass athlete. Even though that word was not, like, commonplace back when I started the business, it's... I always love that dichotomy in women. I thought it was really neat that they could be feminine and strong at the same time, and that's where the skull and butterfly came from. And then coming up with this, I never wanted a couple of things. One, my designs were always loud. There was a lot of contrast, a lot of bright and bold colors, asymmetry and things. I didn't want it to be vanilla. I didn't want it to be really plain, and I purposefully you know, didn't create that. And then when I thought about coming up with some kind of a tagline for the brand, it was like, I just wanted to say it like it is, and I said, well, badass is beautiful. It is, it's really cool. Like, I thought it was cool, and I'm like, I was scared. Am I gonna get a lot of backlash for using that word, badass? And I actually spelled it in two words, on purpose, methodically, because it can be either way, and I use it both ways now in marketing, but um, I was like, you know, again, I was sort of like, heck with it, I'm just gonna put it out there. It's not for everyone. I went out of the gate knowing it wasn't for everyone, but hoping it would be for a lot of people who are like me. And I found a lot of people who were similar to me. And they wanted that. They wanted that bit of edge because I think there wasn't anything in the industry at that time. I don't know, I mean, it's kind of a blur to me, but I really don't think there was. No, I don't. And definitely no word, no badass word definitely floating not. around. Now it's mainstream, it's common as Kleenex, but. Um, yeah. And then when did the Betty Squat, like when was that starting to come into your awareness that you wanted to build more of a community, not just have the apparel, but, you know, I mean, from, from a business standpoint, how brilliant, right? Like, yeah. and now you see this all the time with, we right. see it with Wadi, we see it with Smash, we see it with, um, you know, Nicole, and we had talked about like Nicole yeah. uh, DeBoom, and I was one of her first ambassadors when she was coming out with the skirts. And I feel like that was the first time I ever even, I think that was 2008-ish, 2008-ish. Yeah, where you had like this ambassadorship or this squad. Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate because as an amateur triathlete, I had sponsors, I had product sponsors, and I kind of got some crap for it in the community because I wasn't the fastest. But I was given bikes, I was given clothing, and 
I was really proud of that, and I really was very, I was with Speedo for eight years, then I was with Zoop for another almost 10 years. Um, I was very brand loyal, and so when I thought about how do I get this thing going, I mean, you know, print ads, I couldn't afford a print ad, that was still a thing. I couldn't take out a print ad in Triathlete Magazine or Runner's World, I didn't have the money for that. So what did I do? I looked around my local community and I said, who do I race with that's super cool or, you know, she's got this great energy and she's, you know, she may not be on the podium, but she's a great athlete. She's out here all the time. She's talking to people. She's got this great positive energy about her. I want her in my stuff. So I approached a couple of people I had been racing with and then I think it went formal to an actual ambassador team in 2014. And I had managed some teams for a local bike shop here, so I had some experience in managing like a small women's team of 10 with Nitro Bike Shop. Um, but I decided to do like a US-based, like I picked four, picked East Coast, um, I think I picked Colorado, there was like certain regions and I handpicked these women that I heard through word of mouth kind of thing, it got recommended. And Instagram was out, but it was starting to get, a, get its um, roots and I found these women that way and so I put them on the ambassador team and then that sort of it's like it's become this big snowball effect you guys all know I mean it's it's gone absolutely insane and mm -hmm. the other thing that I have found to be incredibly interesting with launching a women's brand and what I love about women and women in sport um, is women will go up and talk to each other if they see something on you that they like if you're carrying a cute bag I have chased women out of coffee shops for yoga pants like, oh my God, where did you get those? I must have those. And they're complete strangers. So what I realized is this is how my brand was getting spread around because there'd be a race going on and you go up and you go, oh my God, that's so cute, where'd you get it? Mm -hmm. It's a very natural thing for women to do. It's a little more awkward, I think, if men do that. Mm -hmm. It's true, we were walking home from the coffee shop this morning. We were in a full conversation and I yell over at this lady, great shoes. Right. She's like, thanks. I wouldn't yell out great shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but they were, they were great shoes. <laughs> So you're yeah. so right. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was like the more people you get it on, and if they have this great energy and they're talking and sharing, it was really about sharing, sharing this common thread of passion for, it was at the time doing triathlons, right? These women are, and my, my core customer base is triathletes. And they love their stuff and they chat each other up. And one of the neatest things that I had no intention of purposefully creating is you go to a race and I find the girls, if they see someone else in a Betty kit, they cheer, go Betty. And even mm -hmm. spectators now, if they know what the brand is, they say, go Betty. I could not have scripted that if I had tried. I can't take full credit. I mean, maybe it was subconscious, I have no idea, but it was not like I sat down and wrote this business plan and said, I'm gonna create this saying, go Betty. Right. How did you come up with the name? The name was um, sort of a knee-jerk joke reaction to a little ad agency business I had with an ex-partner who we were really different um, when I was doing my freelance business. We had joined, a, we had made a little agency. She was real different. I was in the action sports, um, endurance sports segment. She was much more corporate. And we just didn't get along. And I realized after like nine months, we weren't great business partners. And so I kind of took my <laughs> clients and we, we just amicably split up. She yeah. took her people, I took mine. We were really small. And um, I went, oh my gosh, I need a name for myself, for my freelance business. So I came up with Brand Betty. And I, I came up with Betty not because it's a family name. It was a very fun, um, kind of a hip surfer chick vibe out of Australia. And I always want to be this great surfer. And I'm really lame at that, but whatever. Um, 
I just thought it was super cutesy. I didn't want to be corporate and formal. I didn't want to work in biotech. I wanted to work in the endurance sports community and the things that I loved. And so it was a playful kind of a thing. I had no idea. Again, it wasn't conscious that this name would be this great moniker to sort of just be like everybody's a Betty. Mm -hmm. Every woman's a Betty. I mean, you are. Mm -hmm. And how big is like the community now, the squad? And the squad has um, varied. We, two years ago, we went up to 225. That was too many, it was hard to manage, and we lost a little bit of our uh, intimacy in the group and just feeling like it was a real close, connected group. And so we've gone through a lot of growing pains, but this is year six, and we've got a group of 125 women. At least half have been with us for one year or more previous to 2019, and we have a really great group of people who really support each other. And so we find out with, <clears throat> we interviewed um, Tu Tran, who is now the manager of, of Wada Inc. And so they've got, they've yep. got their like 100 people, but then they've actually unloaded this newer thing, which I think is the Hit Squad, Hit Squad. which is mm -hmm. even like the next level. I think there's like 500 people in that mm -hmm. thing. So I think back to your point about exploring options and then just saying yes, mm -hmm. and then coming back and saying, you can always go back. Mm -hmm. You can always go back. Yep. Right, we got too big. We got right. too big, and for, for and me, that still, didn't feel right. right. It didn't feel right didn't for the brand. The gut didn't feel right. Didn't so. feel right. I wanted a more intimate group where the women really, we have a close Facebook group, um, but they communicate. I don't, I don't know what they do all day. I don't, we don't think any of them work because they're <laughs> literally on the Facebook page or emailing one of us or posting on Instagram. It's unbelievable. But they are so passionate about everything they do. And they're all really similar. So when you got big, you said we had some growing pains. And then, of course, you know, putting out these you know, more edgy taglines and things like that. What have you learned about um, not being able to please everyone and maybe not even just in your business but in your life well that's saying you can't please everyone that is a definite uh, you that is can't, just, but it's such a hard thing to it's sit hard with. it's really hard because of course you you know you want everyone to like you but you know no not everyone's gonna like you it just is what it is <laughs> um, and you have to just I don't know I don't, I don't know you can't be all things to everyone yeah. And if you're a parent, you definitely know that. It's just you got to teach Being your a parent that. probably helps. It helps. Um, <laughs> but I realized that, you know, I mean, I've had people come up at, you know, when we're in Kona at a booth and go, oh, my gosh, are you a devil worshiper? You have a skull in your logo. And it's just like you're I, – I smile and I kind of laugh and I just say – it's a I always say it's a happy skull. It's attached to a butterfly. <laughs> and they just kind of look at me and I, I said, look at our tent. It's neon pink. Like – how, how dark could we be? They're like, are you dark? And I go, no, I don't think so. And they just, you know, carry on. It's not for them. And, and that's okay. That's why all these brands can now coexist and all these different groups and these communities. Everyone has to find their place. And like I said, I didn't know if there were other people like me. I found my people. I mean, there's a lot of, we, we see them at the camp that we hold in the spring. Last year, we held a little camp here. And it's, it's literally like summer camp when they leave. There's tears and hugging and crying and lifelong friendships. Mm. It's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. And you never thought you'd have a community, build I a community no like idea. this? no idea. No idea. Where do you think it's going to go? Where do you see it going? You Five know, years, 10 years? I, you know, I think about that. Again, since I never set down formal business plan, I have no formal business forecasting or anything. Um, I've made a conscious decision in the sense of I still haven't taken on any dollars. I want to keep it manageable. I want to keep it enjoyable for me as a designer. Um, 
we've tried, you know, having an extra employee or two, and, and there's still just two of us. We found that Noelle and I, Noelle's phenomenal. She's been with me for a long time now, like four years in some capacity. Um, there's no reason to get greedy. There's no reason for me. I'm fortunate I am where I am at, that this became a full-time job for me. I work out of my house. I can go ride my bike with my husband. Even though I, my son is now 17 and doesn't like spending that much time with mom, he gets to see mom. Mom's <laughs> around. And um, I wouldn't change a darn thing mm. about it. I just, I didn't, I didn't want to grow just for business sake growth. And I hope that this community, I think at the end of the day, when all the social media stuff really dies down, I do think the meaningful relationships are going to be the things that stick. I really, really do. I think the superficiality has to and pimping product and all this stuff has to sort of mellow out we're in a real upwards trajectory on that but i think people are going to want the real stuff um, and i don't know as a brand i know for me i try to respond to every dm every message i think it's really important for me as the business owner and even if someone's being nasty sometimes noel won't know how to respond to somebody and i'll say i'll take them and you know, it's just people want to be heard and they want to they want to be able to vent and they want to be um, looked at as a human being. And it's having those human contact points. I think it's super important. And I think for longevity of the brand, I hope that that's what keeps us going. Mm -hmm. And I can't say I want it to be twice as big. It doesn't matter to me. It could stay right where it is as we have the quality of people. What would you say to the Kristen of 10 years ago? Wow. Well, I definitely say there's all these components of me I didn't know I had in me, but the big underlying one, I think I didn't realize how strong I really am. Yeah. Had no idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of us, everyone in this audience, BJ and I and you and, you know, we will get brought to our knees in life in some capacity. Some of us probably already have, we have. We and are. it's it's in those moments where life gets very hyper-focused yep. and it's like what do I just need to do now mm -hmm. and I know for me in those moments which weren't that long ago it was like okay right now all I can do is I can take another breath yeah that's what I can do and sometimes yep. that was all the strength I yep. had and we are more powerful than we know and certainly when things are going great we don't have to exercise all that power and strength mm -hmm. but to know that it's within us is something that you never go back from yep you never get there's nothing you, there's nothing you can't handle well i'd like to think one never knows i hope i'm not tested <laughs> no. i'm not tested but i do know i do feel like when things get tough they're going to get better and i'm going to get through it in one way or another whatever that thing is it's, it's, it's very much the same in, in endurance sports. You're gonna go through those low points and you're gonna come out the other side. Um, and when I don't, that means it's my time, period. Yeah. So that's it. Awesome, we just blew like almost an hour so quick. That went so fast. We wanna know if you guys have any questions for Chris. Oh, mom. Uh -oh. mom. <laughs> She's like, I'd like to clear up a few things. <laughs> what? Yes. Why? I was? I thought I liked the Superman and the uh, Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Betty Boop. 
Yep. So yeah. Kristen's mom, just for people who can't, um, who aren't here, Kristen's mom is very confused because she thought that Betty Designs, up until just a few moments ago, thought that Betty Designs came from Kristen's apparent um, lockdown obsession with Betty Boop. I had an obsession with Snoopy mom, not <laughs> Betty Boop. See, I'm losing my mind. I don't remember a lot of things. I'm getting old. We're unlocking some well, I'm early glad childhood. I remember trauma. that. It would have been Snoopy designs. Maybe that was in the subconscious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, competing with the boys for sure. No, I remember that part. So when she was as a when she was younger and she was competing with taking on the neighborhood boys, was her like did she take on the Betty Boop persona? Like was that. Was that her source of strength? Is that what you're saying? No. 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 That she was just, all boy. <laughs> no. That was just... <laughs> I wanted to be a boy. I was going to grow up and be a boy. That's what I told them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're getting some really good insight. We need some men's apparel here. I know. I know. Oh, don't, that's a whole other podcast, too. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Anybody else? Any, Any questions, questions about getting through those moments in life? Or All right. Well, I have oh. one more question, then. Okay. Um, so fear, right? Fear of the dirt. Fear of, like, how am I going to pay the mortgage? Like, what have you... Because you've gotten to the other side of these things. Mm -hmm. You've done four years of the BWR. You're... You know, sitting here with this beautiful inventory of clothing behind us, what have you learned about getting to the other side of fear? It's pretty rad. I mean, it, it's really motivating, faced with a little bit, I think a little bit of fear is good. I think mm -hmm. it keeps your senses on alert. I think it pushes you to do things um, in so many ways. Creatively, I, I'm fearful that no one's going to buy anything else. So I get fearful about that. So I have to come up with the, the next, you know, good design. Um, I don't know, fear is always that in that forefront with all the pleasurable, fun stuff. And, I, and it's also about discomfort, not just the fear, but being uncomfortable and overcoming. It's whatever the little thing is. And I try to, I remember from even when my son was really young, he'd wake up, typical kid, you know, oh, I don't feel good today. I don't want to go to school. So I've told him this forever. It's like, you're not going to feel good every day. Some days you're going to wake up, and you're not going to feel good. But you get up and you get out the door. And that's like the one big thing, whether it's fear or it's not feeling well, whatever it is. Kind of those putting, turning that into a positive. Because when you come out the other side, it's really empowering. Gives you a very centered sort of, I don't know. You just, you know you're competent and you have the ability to get through things. And to you, what does it mean to be a badass? Gosh, to be a badass. <laughs> I mean... I think it's, I think to be a badass is to have different facets. It's not all being about hard and being tough. I think it's about being vulnerable, being human, being open, being honest. I think being badass is being a real person. I think it's, yeah, you can go out there and act tough. Anyone can put on that big tough look and, and say, you know, look at me. I'm going to do this or I am this. But who are you really? I think being a badass is just being able to show who you are. Um, and to be kind, and to be humble, and to be just um, supportive of other people. Do you think your fullest, most authentic self has risen to the surface yet? No. There's more to go? I think there's probably more. I've learned a lot in a very condensed amount of time. 
And while in the moments I've thought it was horrible, I wouldn't change a darn thing. I really wouldn't. So, no, I think there's so much more growth still. Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> well, she is partially vegan now. Yeah, she is a cat. <laughs> <laughs> is that growth or is that just what I like? I know, but if she feels good about if you feel yeah. good about what you're eating, Being that's your it authentic is. self, Matt. Mm -hmm. I like Lucky Charms. <laughs> And Diet Coke. I'm sorry, I do. <laughs> so is there, share with us something that perhaps people don't know about you or assume about you and you want to clear up the situation? I think in general, if people don't know me, unfortunately, because Matt will, Matt's always testing lenses. He captures the most horrific photos of me and I look angry. And I'm really not an angry person. I think that my demeanor when I'm not engaged, it can look very intense. And I think people might make that assumption about me that I'm a bitch or that I'm not friendly. I'm actually the biggest marshmallow on the planet. And if you talk to me about me, I could just meet you in the street. And if you're having a bad day on the side of the street and you're crying, I'm gonna sit down on the curb and cry with you. So I think that's the biggest thing. I look a lot tougher than I really am sometimes. I think you're pretty badass. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we got some head nods in the group. You guys, thank you so much for being here. Kristen, you're amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you guys for coming. So glad that we got, yeah, let's clap. Let's give a round of applause. Yes, and I'm so glad that, um, you know, that you found your way and that you've, that you've risen up and that you've shared your, your beautiful art with everyone. And, you know, being in the triathlon world for a long time now, we've been admiring it. We and see it's just, it everywhere. We see it everywhere, everywhere. and we do cheer on those buddies. You better believe it. So thank I you so it. much thank for being you. here tonight. Thanks, guys.